0: I bring you greetings once again in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we have gathered together today to worship his holy name, to fellowship with one another, and to meditate his holy word. Praise God for giving us an opportunity like this to gather together as God's people to celebrate his faithfulness that we have so practically and tangibly witnessed during the last three decades of this ministry and history of the Bread of Life Fellowship. My wife and I, on our behalf and also on behalf of the Blessing Youth Mission, we want to thank God for the fellowship that we have with you in the Gospel. Now yesterday I spoke to you about first love. I spoke to you yesterday on the subject of first love referring to the message that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to the church in Ephesus. Now, we are studying the message of Christ to these seven churches under the heading Exploits and Challenges of the Church Today. Now, yesterday's talk, titled as The First Love, essentially, we saw seven vital areas where we need to restore or regain our first love. Several of you testified that it was a personal, prophetic, forthright message of the Lord to your own heart. Give God all the glory because he alone is worthy. Today we will consider Christ's message to the second church. There is a church in Smyrna. Please come with me to the book of Revelation. I'm sure during these days you read the uh, book of Revelation in the second and the third chapters more than once, which contain the messages of the Lord Jesus Christ to the seven churches in Asia, beginning with Ephesus and going on up to Laodicea. Now, today we want to spend some time with a very vital word that Jesus gave to this church in Smyrna. Now interestingly this is the first of the excuse me, am I audible? No problem? Yes. Interestingly the church in Smyrna was the first of the two churches which were not rebuked by the Lord Jesus Christ. The other one is the church in Philadelphia. Now, we'll read this message. Turn your Bibles to the book of Revelation, second chapter. We'll read from verse 8 to 11. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but a synagogue, of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Now the key text that we would meditate and dwell on this evening is verse 10. Be faithful until death. Now yesterday's message was titled, Regaining the First Love. Today's message is titled, Remaining Faithful Until Death death. Now this particular words, stay faithful until death, or be faithful until death, is normally taken to mean faithful living until death. But in this context, being faithful has specific and definite reference to witnessing for Christ even if it would mean death. In other words, here in this message to the church in Smyrna, there is a call to martyrdom. A call to martyrdom. To quote Watchman nee at the beginning of this message, several of us are familiar with his writings, how the Lord used him mightily to spearhead a revival movement for the planting of hundreds and thousands of churches, that great saint of God. this is what he has written. All of us may not have to die as martyrs, but each of us must have a mind to suffer. Once again, all of us may not have to die as martyrs, but each of us must have a mind to suffer. You find the very next letter, that is the letter to the church in Pergabos, you find in verse 12 and 13, it says, Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you. Again, the word faithful surfaces here. Now, I would like to begin this talk with the departing words of the Lord Jesus Christ, or sometimes which I would call the last recorded saying of Jesus Christ before he ascended. Turn with me to Acts of the Apostles chapter 1 and I will read to you verse 8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now I want you to understand the root meaning of that word witness is martyr. I don't know how many of us have ever been told that untold truth. The word witness that we have in Acts 1:8, the root meaning of that word, root means, the Greek word, it means martyr. Now if we would substitute that word martyr in these words, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, <coughs> and you shall be mortars for me even if it would mean going to the end of the earth for the sake of the gospel. Now, there again, there is a very important word in that particular eighth verse, you shall receive power. That word power has got the root word dynamis. That's where we get that word dynamic from. That explosive. Now, beloved, the sad state and condition of the church is because we have overstressed the word power, but we have not taken the word witnesses, which mean martyrs, very seriously. Now, we want to have power without pain. That's the problem of modern Christianity, that's the problem of most of the denominations. That's the problem of most of the ministries which go in the name of revival. We have overstressed or we have overemphasized the power aspect of Christian life, leaving out the pain aspect of it. The power of the Holy Spirit is actually to withstand the pain. It is actually to withstand the pain. Otherwise, the disciples were already preaching the gospel. The disciples were already healing the sick. The disciples were already casting out demons, even before Acts eight. But here, the specific dimension is for pain of martyrdom unto death. Apostle Paul brings this out so beautifully when he was writing his second epistle to Timothy when he said, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. Therefore, don't be ashamed of my imprisonment and my chains. You follow me? We used to take that first verse God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. For what? Therefore, don't be ashamed of my chains and my imprisonment. We all should learn to take a text and understand it in its context. Because any text taken out of context, it becomes a pretext. And you find Apostle Paul more than once when he was writing to that young trainee, a missionary trainee or an apostle trainee, that probationer, even Timothy, he quoted the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what reference he specifically made to the Lord Jesus Christ? Remember, Jesus Christ who made a faithful witness and confession before Pontius Pilate. We all remember how the Lord Jesus Christ stood like a lion before Pontius Pilate who asked him, Are you your king then? Yes, I am what you say. And I was born for this purpose. What purpose? To witness for the truth. That he has brought that word witness while he was standing like a lion before Pontius Pilate. Now I want you to look at the very introduction of the Lord Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation. Now today, you will be thrilled and challenged to find when I give you some verses and see how we have missed out some of the main truths. Look at Revelation 1st chapter, 5th words. Here comes a message to all the churches in Asia. It says, from Jesus Christ, Number one, the faithful witness. Number two, the firstborn from the dead. And number three, the ruler over the kings of the earth. Once again, the problem with the modern church. We have overemphasized the second one and the third one. And we have left the first one. The second one, we would say, Christ risen, Lord, wonderful, praise the Lord, hallelujah, that we would say. And then we would say, he's the king of kings, he's the Lord of lords, all exciting things but we are left the first thing there are three things mentioned number 1 faithful witness and the other two things follow when you are a faithful witness christ as a faithful witness calls all of us here to become faithful witnesses turn with me so i may read a passage to you from second timothy second chapter verses 8 to 13. I won't read all the verses, but I would specifically read a few passages which I would very much like you to keep your eyes upon. Second Timothy, 2nd chapter, I will read to you from verse 8. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the deck according to my gospel for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer. The very introduction, the very first thing, I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chain. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Underline three words in these two verses. Suffer, chains, endure. And then he goes on to say, this is a faithful saying. Again, underline the word faith. Today we'll spend a lot of time on that word faithful. This is a faithful saying. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. See where it begins. It begins with death. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. In what context do we come across this word, death and endurance? Look at the very next line. If we deny him. If we fail to witness for him, he will also deny us. Are you able to get the meaning of the text in that context? This is how you should study the Bible. Just see what it is. That's why I always ask people to look at the verses, a few verses above and a few verses below, with their own eyes to see whether things are so. Then it says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. In other words, he will continue to be a faithful witness. We may fail to be a faithful witness. We may, out of fear of the situation or people who oppose us, we may begin to dilute the truth. We may deny, but he will not deny himself. He will always say who he is. He will always say what he is. He will always say, as he said before Pontius Pilate, yes, I am a king. I am to witness for the truth. And everyone who understands this truth, this evening would be prepared for a great day which is about to dawn on the face of the earth for all the churches to face. If we endure, we shall reign. If we die, we shall live. Even if we are faithless, he would be faithful. He cannot deny himself. Beloved, the call here is to endure hardness, not enjoy happiness. You know, we have substituted that. It is not to enjoy happiness, but it is to endure hardness. If you look at that particular verse, it says when Paul was writing to Timothy, he says in the third verse, look at the third verse, therefore you must endure hardship. Has not Christianity substituted enjoy happiness over endure hardness? That's the truth. That's where we have missed the target by million miles. All through his life, follow this carefully, all through his life, Jesus was preparing his disciples to be ready to die as martyrs. What did he say in the Sermon on the Mount? You are the salt. What is salt for? To be dissolved. You are the light. Unless you burn, you cannot shine. We have a person at the very opening pages of the New Testament, John the Baptist. What is the testimony about him? He was a burning and a shining light. We want to be shining but we are not ready to be burning. In the process of burning, like a candle, you get destroyed. Salt, that has a reference to martyrdom. Light, that has got a reference to martyrdom also. The New Testament begins with John the Baptist who because he was a burning and shining light, he lost his head. Now I want you to turn with me to the very important passage in Matthew's Gospel which I would call as the commissioning address of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve disciples. Now the remaining time we'll spend with this chapter. Matthew chapter 10. I'm not going to read the entire commissioning address but I want you and I urge you to read it when you find time preferably on your knees. I don't know how many of you still have that old habit of meditating the Bible on knees. I do it all the time because that's what my mentors taught me. Because the Bible says, heaven is his throne, earth is his footstool. What kind of building or temple will you build for me? All these things happen from the beginning. But I will look at a man who trembles at my word. When you kneel before God, with your Bible open, heaven will open up for you. Now that reverential attitude, don't simply throw it away saying that's only physical and external. No, when you kneel down and read the Bible and meditate the Bible, your understanding of the Bible will be better than what you experience now. Now this particular address is from the fifth chapter to the 42nd, from the fifth words to the 42nd words. Totally, if you count, there are 38 verses in this commissioning address. you know, out of these 38 verses, 24 verses speak about persecution. Christians, listen to me carefully. Sit erect. Stay alert. The commissioning address of the Lord Jesus Christ, 38 verses, 24 verses, on persecution. In other words, two-thirds on persecution. Not without reason. Today, we talk so much about the methods of evangelism rather than the cost of witnessing for Jesus. I'm sorry to make that statement. Let's go through this passage step by step. In verse 17, the Lord Jesus says, they will scourge you in the synagogues and you will be brought before councils. The first mistreatment will come to us from the backslidden church. Next it says in verse 18, you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. This mistreatment comes to us from non-Christian authorities, civil authorities. And then it says in verses 19 and 20, when they deliver you, do not worry what or how you should speak. It will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Unfortunately, Sadly, deplorably, people have interpreted this text for the pulpit, coming to the pulpit without preparation, quoting these words, religious nonsense. This is not for pulpit, this is for prison. When you come to the pulpit, you should have preparation. For one hour talk, a minimum of one week of preparation I take normally. That's what I always have been doing because preaching is an eternal business and it is a serious business. You cannot come offhand on the pulpit. This is when you are delivered up before leaders and authorities and when you are inquired, you cannot premeditate what you would answer. At that time, the Holy Spirit will give you everything as usual we interpret for our own convenience. That is the reason why Many of us, in spite of a lot of biblical knowledge we have, we still stay anemic in our spiritual life. Think of the wisdom God gave to Peter and John. What did they say? When they saw the boldness with which Peter and John spoke, they marveled and they said they had been with Jesus. When they saw the wisdom and the spirit With which Stephen spoke, they marveled. They could not resist that wisdom and spirit about to be stoned. And come to the 21st and 22nd verses. Brother will deliver a brother to death, and a father his child. Now Jesus did not say they may deliver. He said he will deliver. Brother will deliver a brother to death, and a father his child. And children will rise up against the parents and cause them to be put to death. And then he says, you will be hated by all. Encircle that word, all. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. There will be family conflicts if you have to be a faithful witness for the Lord Jesus Christ until death. I'm talking about being faithful until death. I'm not talking about giving a testimony in the church. I'm talking about being faithful on the face of persecution. Even if it would mean death, you will have family conflicts. That is why the Lord Jesus Christ very definitely said, don't think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I have come to bring the sword. And immediately after that statement, he goes on to say, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. In other words, when it comes to the question of missions, when it comes to the question of witnessing, when it comes to the question of evangelism, when it comes to the question of sacrificing your life in the cause of souls for whom Christ died, many times the sword of the Lord will have to come in between to sever your filial relationship with your people and your family. Many missionaries have paid that price. I know them personally. God calls them to go to missionary work, but parents had great expectation. I educated my son, my daughter to be an engineer, to be a doctor. But what happens? He or she suddenly says they want to go to missions. They want to go to become a missionary. Get lost in some tribal area. In uncivilized, undercivilized areas, and spend all their lives, and they use the word waste all their lives. Yes, you may call it waste. Jesus would call it worship. When Mary threw that costly alabaster box on the feet of Jesus, the disciples were filled with indignation, and they said, Why this waste? For them, it was a waste. Even for the disciples, it was a waste. But for Jesus, it was worship. Costly worship, costly obedience, and Jesus said, "He who endures till the end, he will be saved." Not just living as a pious Christian, but relentless witnessing, even on the face of death. And come to verses 24 and 25: A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for a disciple that he is just like his teacher and a servant like his master, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of the household? Elsewhere in Luke's Gospel, when Jesus was carrying that heavy cross on the dusty roads of Jerusalem, the daughters of Jerusalem were mourning him. Turning to them, Jesus said, Weep not for me. Weep for yourselves and your children. If they do these things on a green tree, what will they do on a dry wood? We are all dry wood, never forget it. We are all dry wood, which means the sufferings that we as Christians will have to face will be more than the suffering of Christ. The only difference Christ died for our sins, but we suffer with Him. That's the difference. This is what Apostle Paul called to know the power of resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. We have heard many sermons on the power of resurrection, but how many sermons have we heard on the fellowship of his sufferings? Fellowship of his sufferings. And Paul went further on to say when he was writing to the Colossian believers so that I may fulfill the sufferings of Christ in his body. It's not that he's going to add anything to the suffering for redemption. No, that is finished. That is over. But for the sake of the church, for its fulfillment, and for its growth. And the writer of the Hebrews, we don't know who it was, the anonymous writer of the Hebrews, he very rightly said, let us go outside the camp, bearing his reproach. Jesus was not crucified between cardinals in a cathedral, but he was crucified between criminals. Let us go. He was not crucified inside Jerusalem. He was crucified outside the city. Let us go outside the camp. What is that camp? Our comfort zone, our family, our friends, our property our everything that we make ourselves comfortable with. Let's leave that comfort zone. Let's leave the camp. Let's leave the city and go to bear his reproach. If what I preach tonight sounds like Greek and Latin to you, you have come to the right place to listen to the right message. Turn with me again to the 28th and the 30, up to 31st verses. I will read to you. We are keeping... Matthew 10th chapter open do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell and he says in verse 30 your very hairs of your head are all numbered now this is a very 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 difficult uh, uh, verse to really interpret You know why I say that? In one instance, Jesus says, your hairs are all numbered. That means I will be perfectly safe. That will be my interpretation. But Jesus says, don't fear those people, don't be afraid of those people who will be able to kill your body only. What is this? Hair is numbered, body will be killed. (laughs) Friends, are you with me? What is guaranteed is not the safety of the body, but what is guaranteed is the safety of the soul. That is what is guaranteed. The body safety is not guaranteed in this passage at all. Let's look at Luke's gospel, 21st chapter. Very solemn thought. Luke chapter 21. I will read to you from verses 17 to 19. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head shall be lost. In your body, in your patience, possessive. Possessive. You understand the Bible? This is the message. This is what Jesus wants us to hear tonight. Peter was imprisoned. The church was praying for Peter and God performed a miracle and he delivered Peter from prison. But he allowed James to be sawn by the sword. He allowed Stephen to be stoned to death. My Bible says the angel of the Lord encamps round about those who fear him and keeps them I have a question when Stephen was stoned did all the angels go on furlough where did they go when the church prayed God delivered uh, Peter you think the church didn't pray for Stephen here is how the apostles died I'm going to read a list for you Some of you might be aware of it, but when I read this list, we should stand in honor of those apostles. Please stand up. Andrew was tied to an X-shaped cross in Patros of Achaia. Bartholomew, who is otherwise called Nathaniel, he was flayed alive in Armenia. James brother of John he was beheaded in Jerusalem by Herod Agrippa. James son of Cleopas and Mary he was thrown from a tower of the temple and he was thrown to death. Jude who was also called Thaddeus he was killed by arrows in Armenia. Matthew was slain by a sword in Parthia. Peter, according to the best available traditions, was crucified upside down in the city of Rome. Philip was hanged on a pillar in Hieropholis, Phrygia, and beaten to death. Simon the Zealot, he was crucified in Persia at the age of 129. Thomas, we Indians killed him near Chennai. Matthias, he was stoned and beheaded. John was banished to a barren island called Patmos, and he was the only one who died a natural death. And Paul was beheaded in Rome. Sit down. I have a question. Did they die in unbelief and doubt? No. My Bible says in the book of Hebrews 11th chapter, I will read to you verse 13. Quickly turn to these references. They are key texts for this message. Hebrews 11 and we read verse 13. These all died in faith. Sometimes we think that living in faith, but here is a statement. These all died in faith. We have a statement in three places in the Bible. The just shall live by faith. Let me say, the just shall not only live by faith, he also can die in faith. That is why the apostle had a slogan for his life. For me, to live is Christ. Finish it. And to die is gain. That's why they got their slogan. Because this is how they understood the scriptures. This is how they understood the word of the Lord unto them. Let's continue with Matthew again. Come to the 10th chapter. Keep your Bibles open to that passage. Jesus concludes his commissioning address from verse 40 to 42. He who receives you receives me. He who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Now here, Jesus was not speaking about rewards to the sufferers, but he was talking about rewards to those who supported the sufferers. I'm getting very close to where we should be in this part of the world. He was not talking about the righteous man who would suffer or the prophet that he would suffer or the disciples who would suffer. He talks about people who refresh and support these sufferers. To them, he gives the reward. And he emphasizes it in verse 42 Assuredly, I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Assuredly and by no means. Double emphasis. Yes, beloved, identifying ourselves with the persecuted believers and Christians and God's servants all over the world is a biblical teaching. Only when we associate ourselves with a suffering church, listen to me, only when associate ourselves with a suffering church, we will become bold in our witnessing. How do I say that? Paul was writing from the Philippian prison. What did he say? My chains have become known to many brothers, and because they have come to know my chains, they have become much bolder than what they were before. Don't be ignorant of what's happening to the suffering church. But I want to tell you, if here I there are about 500 people who have gathered here this evening. Now, I don't want to make a prophecy kind of thing because I'm neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet. But I want to tell you something. Not many will identify with the persecuted and the suffering. Paul had the same experience. He said, in my first defense for the gospel, no one stood with me. Hey, Paul. How many associates you had? What happened? Yeah, I had associates. When it was a question of change. They all deserted me. Not in one city. In Asia, everybody left me. In a continent, everybody left me. Because when it is changed, people will try to save themselves. Why should we bother? Now he has suffered. We will go and pray for him. That is why. Paul stirred up Timothy, I remind you, you know when he was writing to Timothy, he said, I remind you to stir up the gift that is in you, hey Timothy, you are timid, God has already given you a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind, but you are timid. So I want you to be reminded to stir up the gift, for what? That you may not be ashamed of my chains, but you will identify yourself with my chains. Just think of your past life. Maybe you have told some suffering people that you would pray for them. But more than that, what have you done? But here you find three people who are mentioned here. One prophet, second righteous man, and third a disciple. Why prophets come first? Prophets, righteous men, and disciples. Did you ever try to think why prophets come first? Prophets are the most inspiring examples of suffering and persecution. Come with me to book of James fifth chapter and see what that practical apostle has to tell us. James fifth chapter And 10th verse, how beautifully he has brought it. I shudder to read these words. My brothers, my brothers. You know, something very dear, and he, he comes very close to his readers. Already he has addressed them, but now he says, my brothers. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and perseverance. Our patience and Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount blessed are the persecuted great will be your reward in heaven so the persecuted the prophets there also he makes the same reference the prophets and when Stephen was before the council you know what he said he challenged the people which of the prophets you did not persecute? <laughs> oh, what a statement, that, that, that daring statement when he was about to be stoned to death. He said, which of the prophets you did not persecute? Keeping your bookmark in Matthew 10th chapter, come with me to Luke's 11th chapter. And I'll read to you from Verse 49. Luke eleven forty nine. 49. Keep a bookmark in Matthew 10 and come to Luke 11. The wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets and apostles. You know, usually, it is always apostles and prophets, but here you find, it is prophets and apostles. Because prophets, they lead the list of persecution and suffering. And then the blood of prophets was shed from the foundation of the world. And it says so beautifully in the English Bible, from the blood of Abel, to the blood of Zechariah, A to Z. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah. Now I have a question. Why are the modern prophets so popular today? It's a very searching question. What we read about prophets in the Bible is very different from what we hear about prophets today. Why are modern prophets so popular today? answer is very simple they speak to people what people want rather than speak to people what God wants them to speak they speak to people what people want rather than what they need religious consumerism Jeremiah was a prophet a weeping prophet a prophet of lamentation A prophet of tears. He was beaten. Why? He was faithful in his prophesying. And know who struck him and threw him into the stocks? The son of a priest. Usually priests will persecute prophets. Usually priests will persecute prophets. That's what history says and that's what we have from the Bible also. Come with me to the book of Jeremiah 26th chapter. Look at verse 8. Now it happened when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to the people. You see, that's important. He spoke all that God commanded him to speak. The priests and the prophets and the people, they seized him. They said, you will surely die. Come to the 11th verse. Priests, prophets, princes, people. Very rhyming. Priests, prophets, princes, people. They all said, this man deserves to die. They threw him into a prison. No water, only mire. <laughs> they said, don't speak. <laughs> well, you know what Jeremiah said? I tried to be silent, but I could not be silent because the word of the Lord was shut up inside my heart like fire in my bones. Hallelujah. Oh, I like that statement. They told me that I should not speak anymore. So I tried to be silent for a while, but the word of the Lord he put in my heart, they were like fire. Shut up in my bones. Oh, what a, what a beautiful analogy. Fire inside your bones. I could not. Beloved, I want to give you a call. And I want to very much recommend to you to read the prophetic messages of Leonard Ravenhill. You can go to his website, Leonard Ravenhill. Go to his website, and you will get his prophetic messages. He was one of the rarest of the prophets in our times, and he's no more. And read his books, Why Revival Taris, Revival God's Way, and Meet for Man. All these books you can order through Amazon. Why Revival Taris, Revival God's Way, and Meet for Man. The crossless Christianity is the devil's trick to make the church and her message popular. Let me say that again. The crossless Christianity is the devil's trick to make the church and her message popular. Jesus was telling his disciples, I must go to Jerusalem and I shall suffer in the hands of these people. <laughs> Peter, in a very friendly mode took Jesus again, wait a minute, just come, I want to tell you something very important. He took him aside and he said, what are you talking? This should not happen to you. What did Jesus say? What did Jesus say? Get thee behind me, Satan. Satan, Jesus was 100% against a crossless Christianity. Even a disciple like Peter can sometimes make a mistake. Crossless Christianity. Get thee behind me, Satan. And that was in the context of witnessing. But finally, thank God Peter learned the lesson. You read all the five chapters of the first epistle of Peter. In each of the five chapters, he was talking about suffering. You can note down 1 Peter 1.11. One eleven, there he speaks about the foretold sufferings and the glories that would follow. Second chapter twenty-first verse, he said Jesus suffered, so we are to follow His steps. Third chapter fifteen and eighteen, Christ suffered, so be ready to give a defense. Fourth chapter verses one and thirteen, there he writes about partaking of Christ's suffering which will end up in glory fifth chapter verses 8 and 9 the devil like a roaring lion is uh, roaming about as to whom he may devour be alert the same sufferings your brothers have first chapter, second chapter, third chapter, fourth chapter, fifth chapter in all the five chapters of his first letter he talks about suffering because he closely watched the Lord Jesus Christ in his suffering and he also learned the lesson and got himself corrected. We must bleed if we want to bless people. We must bleed if we must bless people. We often say, the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. Let me tell you, if the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church, our blood should water that seed. There is so much of talk today in Christianity about spiritual warfare but the subject of suffering and martyrdom are very conveniently and subtly laid aside. I want to ask you a question, friends, most of you belong to this church and some of you may be coming from different churches. When did you last hear a sermon on martyrdom? When did you last hear a sermon on martyrdom? We have discipleship training. We have leadership training. And we have advanced leadership training. But we don't even have basic martyrdom training. A very beautiful text we have in the book of Revelation, which we very often quote. Book of Revelation, 12th chapter. And look at the 11th verse. They overcame him, that is Satan, the accuser of brothers. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. We put a full stop there. That is the mistake. There is no full stop there. There is a comma. Don't make commas in the Bible as full stops. That will stop your spiritual growth. They overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of the testimony. Come on. And they did not love their lives to the death. So much is talked about the first portion of that verse. But second portion, when did you hear somebody preaching on that? They did not love their lives. Even it would mean death. Suppose, as we are all seated here, suddenly some armed gunmen enter this hall. And they say, if you say Jesus is one of the ways, Jesus loves you, Jesus smiles, Jesus loves you, Jesus heals, Jesus saves, all that, I don't mind. But if you say Jesus is the only name, that name is given for salvation of men, I'm going to shoot you. How many of us will really stay back and how many of you will run for life? And those who run for life would say, no, we would go out and then leave for Jesus. (laughs) Just ask this question. Please ask this question to yourself. I'm not trying to just excite yourself. Just ask this question. Suppose now some gunmen enter this hall and they say, if you say, Jesus is the only way I'm going to shoot you, how many of us will really stand here? Will I stand? Will I stand? Will I or Stanley stand? The time has come that judgment begins at the house of God. We have not made any big impact in this world because we have failed to take the other side of the coin, which I am speaking on this evening. Apostle Paul said, We are killed. All day long but we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us what does it mean more than conquerors means neither death nor life can pull us away from the love of Christ first he says death then only he says life he doesn't say life or death he says death or life The order is important. I believe in that verbal inspiration of the scriptures. Even the order in the scripture is important. Order of mention. Neither death nor life can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That is what is meant by we will be more than conquerors. Even if they kill us, before our head falls down on this ground, it will say, Jesus is the Lord. We are more than conquerors. Here there will be a funeral but there will be a festival. Conquering does not mean deliverance, but it is standing firm in witnessing and refusing to deny. Ananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, standing before the king. O king, our God is able to deliver us even if he does not deliver us that was not unbelief that was not unbelief that was faith even if he does not deliver us sorry we will not bow down before you before your statue to receive a better resurrection they refuse to deliverance why is the resurrection without death Come to Revelation 2nd chapter now, where we began. Do not fear any 10th verse of the 2nd chapter. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. Imprisonment predicted, deliverance not promised. Am I right? Imprisonment predicted but deliverance not promised rather exhorted to be faithful until death. What does this uh, 10 days mean? Did you ever try to find what do those 10 days mean? 10 days in the Bible generally speak about a short duration. We all know how Rebecca's brother said let the bride be with us at least for 10 days. And Daniel was telling to the officers, test us for 10 days. So 10 days in the Bible generally is a short duration. That's why Apostle Paul said, this light affliction, which is just for a short while, is going to give us eternal glory. This light affliction, hey man, you are suffering like anything. Yeah, it's a light affliction. Because what we are going to experience there, nothing compared to that. And a short duration, a little while. But there it is going to be eternal glory. Ten days, just nothing. Light affliction. That is why, get this message, that is why the apostles never prayed for persecution to stop. You cannot find anywhere in the New Testament that the apostles prayed for the persecution to stop. Rather, they asked for boldness to withstand persecution. The early church was persecuted and in Acts 4 chapter we have that beautiful prayer. They lifted up their voice in unison together to God and they said, Oh Lord, you are the creator of heaven and earth. You see their persecution. You see how they are abusing us. He did not say, please stop them, but rather he said, Give boldness to your servants that they may speak the word with authority and signs and wonders may follow. And my Bible says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and the place where they were gathered together was shaken and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So we are nowhere taught in the scriptures for persecution to stop. But modern prayers many times are unscriptural. We cannot bind Satan. Satan can bind us. It says here, he will imprison you. Who told you that you can imprison Satan? Every preacher is binding Satan, but that fellow is going jolly free. Every preacher is binding Satan in his meetings. What happened? The knot is not tight enough, is it? He is more free than ever. God has designed that he should go free. My Bible says he roams about. God wants him to roam about, but you want him to be arrested. He will imprison you for 10 days. So many unscriptural practices going on in Christendom. But the final victory is for the Lord. Come with me to Revelation 17th chapter. And look at the 14th words. You see how beautiful the theme develops all through this book. 17, 14 of Revelation. This will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And those who are with Him are called, chosen, and... (laughs) Hallelujah. So beautiful. He is going to finally win... And we as his soldiers and followers, his victory will be our victory. And who are those people? Called, chosen, those who have remained faithful. They will be the overcomers. Jesus said, he who lives father, mother, brother, sister, Houses. He will get so many brothers, so many sisters, and he will get mothers. He will get so many houses. But there is one important phrase he says: "With persecution." Turn with me to that verse, in Matthew 10, Mark tenth chapter. Because casual reading, we just miss out on these truths. Mark 10th chapter, from verse 28 to 30, we are about to close this message because God has spoken to us enough on this subject. Mark 10, 28 to 30. Peter said, See, we have left all and followed you. And Jesus answered and said, I surely say to you, there is no one who has left house, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lambs for my sake and the gospel who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands with, with, ah, don't lose that. You get all those blessings, fine, but with persecution. And in the age to come, eternal life. God prepared Paul For this kind of ministry, you know how he prepared him. God made him to watch how Stephen died as a martyr. Paul was a young man, and he kept all the clothes of Stephen with him. And he was watching how that man died. And that prepared him for his eventual martyrdom. Here lies the reason why we always encourage people to study the biography of martyrs. If you want to read just one book on martyrs, Fox's Book of Martyrs, you can note down, get that book and read it. F-O-X-E. The author's name is F-O-X-E. Fox's Book of of martyrs read that book now comes a question how many of us will dedicate ourselves today to tell God lord if necessary i am ready to die as a martyr this is altar call when you go to the altar it's sacrifice this is the true altar call a living sacrifice. The number of martyrs is not complete yet. Shall we all stand up in God's presence? Eyes closed. Heads bowed down. Hearts Lifted up in brokenness and openness. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. No one can be my disciples without taking up the cross of self denial. If you love your life, you will lose it. But if you hate your life, you will save it. I know whom I have believed, and I am assured that what I have committed to him, he will keep it for that day. I don't want you to lift up your hands. I don't want you to come to come to the front. None of those things. Let this be a personal commitment between you and God. Lord, if it needs be. I won't try to escape martyrdom. And Lord, I would openly associate myself with the suffering church. One day Jesus would say, I was in prison and you visited me. When did we see you, Lord, in prison? What you have done to one of these little brethren of mine, you have done unto me. Take these twofold decisions. I am ready to die as a martyr if necessary. And I will identify myself the suffering church, the suffering Christians. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and mercy in which you have enabled us to meditate on the commissioning address of your dear son and our Lord Jesus Christ to his 12 disciples, especially in the area of forthcoming persecution and martyrdom, which is going to sweep across the globe. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. Thank you for this word that prepares us for that day. Help us, O Lord, to be faithful until death. In Jesus' name, please be seated.
1: Church, have you been challenged this evening? Did you think that you would just come to listen to an exciting message which could just sit back and listen to and go home happy? Or are you in a state where you are forced to think What am I doing in this place? Are you challenged to be a true man of God? That's the essence. It's not about coming. It's not about listening to a series of messages. But has God spoken to you? Has God touched you? Let's take a minute to just pray. Don't worry about the person next to you. Don't worry about anything. Just think about yourself. Just think of what you have heard over the last hour and 15 minutes. Ask yourself. Do you have the power to withstand pain? Are you bleeding to bless, or are you busy bleeding others to death? You need to take a stance for God. I need to take a stance. It's time. To stop playing the church. It's time to be the church. It's time to stop playing games. It's time to be a soldier in God's kingdom. Talk to God. You might have taken a minute to commit yourself, talk to God. Tell God, what you're deciding today is not just for the next few minutes. It's not something that you're going to forget when you step out, but it is something that is going to make a change in your life. Father God, we just want to say thank you, Lord. That you have spoken to us loud and clear this day, Lord Father. Father God, there is no mincing of your words, Lord Father. And what you have spoken to us has pierced us to the marrow, Lord Father. Father God, I pray, Lord, that every one of us would have heard the clarion call that you have given, Lord Father. And it is time. That we took you seriously, Lord. Father God, we have been too complacent. We have been too comfortable. And we have let you down. Father God, I pray, Lord, that with this 30th anniversary celebrations, Lord, there will be a change. A change to be your church. A change. To do what you want us to do in this land. We have not lived in this land for 30 years. to just survive in this place. But Father God, you have brought us here for a purpose. Father God, we ask Lord that you continue to be with us. Because that's what you've always said. That you are there with us. We thank you Lord. Father, we thank you for your servant whom you have used this day. We ask, Lord, that you continue to anoint him with a knowledge of your word, Lord Father. That where he speaks and when he speaks, your word will be brought forth clear. And it will, be, it will be brought forth with an understanding that we could then know your mind, Lord Father. Father, we thank you for this time. And we ask that you bless our dear brother and his family, his ministry, Lord, that where he serves you, Lord Father that through his words that you have put into his mouth, many shall turn to you, Lord Father. We give all praise, honor, and glory to you. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's share the grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with us all, now and forevermore. Amen. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Let's start moving out church. God bless you as you move out and remember the challenge for the day.